Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode, and I am so excited about my next guest, Mary Clark, a young woman from Ostego, Michigan. I, you know, I could do a real long intro about this woman, but I, I tend to want to just shut up and let you listen to her. This is someone who just, things didn't make sense. She was curious, and she kind of followed a pattern and started putting pieces together of what was happening in her town and the Kalamazoo River and all the paper mills around small community and it just seems strange to her not one not 10 not 60 not 100 not 200 but 500 people within the community all had cancer and just coming from a place of common sense and caring about herself her health her family in the community what she has embarked upon what she has uncovered is absolutely fascinating it is almost csi but a story worth listening to a great story to be told because so many of us are mary clarks and and oftentimes are afraid to speak out but she's not it's worth a listen so here comes mary clark so excited to to have this conversation with you and let people know what's going on in Ostego and the work that you have done. So it's always best for me, I think, to just shut up and let you talk. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Mary, please so tell attention. everybody what's going on in your backyard. Um, yeah, so um, Otsego, Michigan is a very small rural community. Um, outside of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and West Michigan is known for paper production. So there are paper mills all up and down um, the Kalamazoo River, which flows through my town, and my town is downstream of the river. Um, Back in February of 2018, I came across an article about this river and about how it's been contaminated for over two decades with polychlorinated biphenyls, which are one of the most cancer-causing banned chemicals known to man. And I had no idea that the river was contaminated. Now, granted, I graduated high school in 1999, and I've since been living in Chicago, so I really haven't, you know, maybe been a part of any of the community community meetings. Um, but I was shocked because uh, I learned that the river was contaminated during, you know, my my childhood and and my growing up there. And I couldn't. The one thing that got me involved in this is thinking about. Well, first of all, let me back up and tell you that. When I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer okay. with zero family with zero family history. And while I was receiving chemo, there was um, a male student in the grade above me that was receiving chemo for testicular cancer. Okay. And Otsego is a, a town population 4,000, and my high school had less than 600 people. So it just seemed very bizarre that, you know, two kids had 
had cancer at the same time in high school. Right. But nobody really, nobody really questioned it. So anyway, back in February 2018, I came across this article about the river and the PCBs, and I thought to myself, I kept thinking back to how many people I remember having cancer since graduating. So for instance, the grade above me, I know of four females that are already deceased from cancer before the age of 35. And so, you know, I just kept thinking to myself, oh, my neighbor had cancer. Um, My neighbor's neighbor had cancer. Um, My sister actually had two cancers. My mom's had cancer. And I couldn't believe it. So at that point, I I actually reached out to you. I found your email. And you responded to me within 24 hours, which I could not believe. (laughs) And um, it was amazing. And you... (laughs) Dare I say, I can't believe that either. I I know, right? I mean, I can't believe, I don't know if my email, like, you know, you know, I I don't want to get you off track, but what happens is a lot of times it, when you read something, you kind of have to know to read between the lines. This happened to me with Flint and I was able to do that with you. Um, So, so how you presented it, I'm like, "Mm, something's going on. You know, and sometimes I can read something and go, okay, I I think I know what that is. I'm going to look it up, but I'll be able to get back to them in a couple of days. So it was something you said. And like I said in the beginning, you're you're very intriguing. And uh, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show because you are the perfect example of of who we all are, but we don't always know how to do that. So, but, okay, so I got back to you in 24 hours. (laughs) Continue. Yeah. Yes, you got back to me in 24 hours, and I, I was so excited, and you encouraged me to ask people to go visit yourcommunityhealthbook.com website to report their cancer so we can kind of track how many people really thought that there was a concern. So I actually did that. I went to Facebook and found a website or a Facebook page called Vanish.Sego, which is a local community, community um, page, and I just you know shared your link, and I said, hi graduating class in 1999 here. Can't help but notice a lot of people have cancer. I just recently learned that the Kalamazoo River is a national priorities list EPA Superfund site with cancer-causing chemicals. I can't help but think that there's a correlation. If you think there is too, please click on this Aaron's website and, you know, track your case. And I couldn't keep up with the response that day. I mean, I could not keep up with it. People started messaging me, their stories, their health concerns. And granted, like, I know a lot of these people because it's such a tiny community. Um, You know, you know their last names or whatever, but I couldn't keep up with it. So at that point, I thought, okay, what else can I do? So I created a SurveyMonkey self-reporting health survey because the stories were incredible. And I just, people with, you know, birth defects, uh, infertility, miscarriages, rare cancers. So I created a health survey and asked general questions. What was your diagnosis? What was your age of diagnosis? Um, what year did you graduate high school? And I wanted to ask that question because I felt like this community is so small, they've become desensitized to it. And so I really wanted to put a number so they, they could understand, okay, this is how many people that we graduated with has a condition, you know? And um, so I asked them that. I asked them what other family members have any sort of health conditions, you know, where they lived, were they on city water, were they on well water, you know, just general questions. And within 24 hours, I had something like 80 responses. Wow. And they, and they were incredible. I mean, age of diagnosis of rare cancers, osteosarcoma, Ewing sarcoma. Oh. I was looking up these cancers. Yeah, I was looking up these cancers, and they were some of the rarest 
in the country, yet we have multiple cases of it. And then not only that, within the survey, when I asked what other family members have cancer, literally everybody said, okay, this is the cancer I have. My sister's had this cancer, different cancer. My dad's had prostate cancer. My uncle died of liver cancer. Just three, four, five different types of cancer. One person reported having five different types of cancer themselves with different primary origin, which means, you know, obviously yes. it didn't spread. Right. So he's just had a, a horrific life. And so within that 24 hours, I thought, okay, what am I going to do with this, <laughs> with these surveys? So who can I talk to? And I just thought, okay, I'll try to go to the top. I looked up, you know, the CDC. Right. I found the regional office. I found the regional office for Region 5, Dr. Mark Johnson, who is the head of the ASTDR. ATSDR? Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. We'll let everyone know yeah. that stands for Agencies for Toxic Substance. Yes. Disease so Registry, I, ATSDR. Yes. And so I picked up the phone and just called him. And he answered, and I gave him a brief you know, synopsis and the health study. And he asked me, okay, can you come in tomorrow? <laughs> and and that ended up, did you? And then yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I went in with my house surveys. He was reading through them. He went up on Google Maps, you know, because obviously this town isn't something that is discussed, even though he does know about the Kalamazoo River being an EPA Superfund site. Um, looking at the paper mills, all of that. And he wasn't giving me any reaction to the house survey because obviously probably couldn't. But the one thing that he did say was he was very surprised by the number of teratomas which are a specific type of tumor that have teeth and hair. They're very rare. Okay, what is um, it? What is it so, the, again? It's a teratoma. So teratoma, teratoma is a okay. Very, yeah, it's a very specific... That's the only thing that he had a reaction to. And it is <laughs> and specifically what? It is a tumor, a specific type of tumor, that has, like, teeth and hair. A tumor that has teeth and hair? Yes. Okay. And, well, that and sounds actually really frightening. It's very frightening. And so he asked me at that point, you know, what was my plan? And I said, well, my plan is I'm going to have my first community meeting in five days at the public library. And he said, okay, I'll be there. The Michigan Department of Health will be there. The EPA will be there. DEQ and the County Health Department in five days. Good. From Chicago. Yeah. Incredible, right? Yes. And so during I'm that listening. Time, I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. I mean, within five days. It's incredible. So within that five days, I had to meet with all of them, um, downtown Chicago, to prepare for this meeting. And they were trying to tell me how they were going to run the meeting, talking about the river and the contamination and the paper mills. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> yes, you can talk about that. But this is an opportunity for our community to express to you what they've endured and what we want you to do. And so they said, okay. I mean, it was to the point where I wanted them to understand. I actually, <laughs> I actually printed out pictures from my high school yearbook and put them on the conference room table, like highlighting and circling how many people had cancer or how many people are deceased. See, that's so you know effective. I mean? And you're so, you know, you come from just such an empathetic, you know, uh, common sense place. And, and you know what you know, you know what you see, you know what you've lived in. But that is something that really could help. You know, we could sit here and blame all the agencies and I can pick on them all day long, but I'm not going to do that in this conversation because you gave yeah. them a moment to see something that made it real for them. A face, exactly. a, a human, not just some number that they were going to have to deal with. So good on you. Exactly. I mean, and there was one page in my yearbook that had all the student council. It was, you know, freshman through senior year, like, Four people per class or whatever and there were six people out of the 12 
have had cancer or, or are dead or have MS. But that is just, it's just not normal. Right. I and, mean, you know, not, see, again, I, and I hate to keep interrupting you, but I'm, I'm again, I've already told you how inspired I am by you. <laughs> but that that you you see this you you own something that this doesn't make sense to me and oftentimes we move away from that because i bet everyone's told you oh it's statistically not this don't worry about this it couldn't be that you're yep. being an alarmist don't do this and then they go away but you're one of those people that's not going to go away i i beg all the time and i'm listening to the numbers that you're talking about i want some of these agencies to tell me how many cancers is too many exactly it, it, exactly. Is it a million? Because otherwise, all these other people along the Kalamazoo River in your town, um, it's just not significant that this many people have cancer. It's That's the frustration, and that's where I think people turn away from. And I just want to remind people listening, that is exactly where you were coming from. And I want them to hear you that they are able to do that in their own hometown. Because this is exactly. everywhere, and it's concerning, but you owned it, and you stood up. And so I, I just think it's really important to reiterate that as you're talking about the things that you're doing and, and the frustration that you must feel that we all feel when we're looking at all these cancers and we're talking about them, but they always come back and they go, it's just statistically not significant. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, like me being in the face of this. I mean, I get emails. I still get messages and emails weekly of new diagnosis or somebody sends me an obituary. It's, and then, you know, these are small towns where people don't leave. You know, right. So it's generation after generation after generation. And now people younger than me are having children with the rarest brain tumors. See, and that's a great point. And how old are you now? May I ask? Ooh, that's probably a terrible thing yeah, for me no, to do no, on a okay. you know a podcast. How old are you? No, no, that's okay. I'm 38. Oh my gosh, you're a baby. So I'm 38. Then and you hit upon the youth getting cancer, and and you are exactly. young. Listen, I'm going to be 60 in June, and I began my work in Hinkley when I was 30. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. There's no way you're. There's no way you're 60. I'm 60 in June, and I have four grandchildren. You're only as old as how you feel, right? Oh, no, I still feel like that kid. So good. Exactly. I'm, I'm talking. You're, but uh, <laughs> you brought up a point, uh, The yet, how many young people we're seeing with this. And so I so rudely cut you off just because I had to let everyone know that th- this moment of you and your ownership of this is my town, my, my curiosity, people I love jumping in there that that they can be that person. They probably already are, and these conversations will help inspire them. But I want to get to how did the meeting go? So the meeting, um, it went it went as, as well as I expected. I, it was wall-to-wall, standing room only. Um, the agency came and, you know, introduced themselves, talked about the river a little bit, and then it was straight four hours to the point where they had to kick us out of the library. Four hours of people standing up with a microphone telling them how sick their children are, how they buried their child before wow. the age of 20. Or, wow. I mean, four hours of pure, you know, emotional, you know, frustration, sadness, and, you know, it was it was four hours of that. Four hours of people. First person I called on was somebody that had just buried their daughter a week prior. She had breast cancer. She was diagnosed with breast cancer six months prior to the meeting. And it went to her, her uh, spinal cord, and she died. And she was 32. Oh, no so family. it metastasized into the spinal cord. That is definitely um, 
something that could lend itself to an environmental issue. Yeah, I mean, metastasize no, from one non-point source to another. Is that correct? Uh, she yeah. may have stood up and talked about that. Oh my gosh, that's awful. It, How old was her yeah, daughter? So she was thirty-two. Oh. Yes, with children, and they had no family history, and they literally just buried their daughter. And not to, like, go back to this, but this isn't even a lie. I received a message yesterday. A 35-year-old was just diagnosed with B-cell lymphoma. I just received that message yesterday. I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. But so How many total hours, numbers do you have just, you know, with your neighbors and, and people in that area that grew up in that area that are sick with cancer? I, well, I, currently to date, I have 705 surveys. Oh, my gosh. But, but within those surveys, like I mentioned, I only allowed people to do one survey from, you know, one IP address. Because I didn't want if somebody was deceased to do, to do, you know, two siblings doing one for their mother or something. So, um, but within the health survey, like I said, I have 705 survey results. But within the survey, they list five, six, seven family members having different types of cancer. So, oh, my gosh. So what's the total number of the people? Total, oh, the to- oh, the total is over like 1,200. Oh my gosh! And so this, and so and what's I understand. The population of this town? Four thousand. So a third of this town. Yes, but what the agencies will argue is, you know, this isn't scientific. So I mean, it's very hard to do an epidemiological study because it's like, okay, well, when were they diagnosed? You know, were they diagnosed? For instance, my sister had breast cancer, but she didn't have breast cancer. She was diagnosed in Chicago after she lived here for like five years. But she was diagnosed at the age of 32. But, but I still she grew up because, in Austin. Exactly. But they're saying that there's just too many layers. They can't just take my numbers and determine if there's a problem. So what we were asking was, okay, well, come find out if there's a problem. Because since that meeting, which was March 2018, the amount of research. So we let's talk about the river real quick. Like, how did this river happen? PCBs in the river. Well, these paper mills that are all up and down the river use PCBs to bleach paper. Yep. Um, and the PCBs are banned, what, back in the 70s. And all of these companies, not just paper mills, everybody that used PCBs was was supposed to dispose of them in <laughs> proper manner, right? Proper manner. And to the point where they had to basically build nuclear-grade landfills, but no communities wanted them. So people just started dumping them in the river. Right. I mean, right. Kelsey River is not just, not just the only river that has this problem. Right. So... But I couldn't believe it. So I started researching and started sending in FOIA, so Freedom of Information yeah, Act yes. requests. I'm glad you brought that up. A lot of people don't know that's available. Yep. So and you, you can, can write in and get yes. a lot of documents that they're trying to, you know, not make public. And I've just read almost the entire Kalamazoo River study, um, you know, 10,000 pages and EPA archives. And I have learned. So I, the paper mills in my, we have two paper mills in my town and they probably employed, you know, 60% of the town. My parents were teachers, so I didn't really know that life. So I didn't really think about, you know, you're kind of ignorant to that stuff when you're a child. You know, I, you can smell the paper mill. You can see, you know, some of the effects that it's having. You can see it in the sky. Or but you just don't make air. that association. Yeah, And you, you get sensitized to it. You just don't even smell it or know it's really around anymore. Exactly. So, you know, I started researching about this, and I, and I'm, I mean, all these paper mills got sued. That's just cleaning up the river. But I've learned that, no, the, a byproduct of paper production is paper pulp sludge. And paper pulp sludge by itself, treated and everything, is good for um, soil. 
you know, or it's good for um, fertilizer. Good for so, fertilizer, and it's a hazardous yeah. waste? Well, they, or it's a byproduct to, of a hazardous it's a waste? By, it's a byproduct. No, it's just a byproduct of the paper production. So it's okay. like a pulp. Like a pulp. And if it's treated, then it's good for fertilizer. So a lot of paper mills all over the country, not just my town, give this fertilizer to farms. And my town, being rural, has over a dozen dairy farms, okay? So all of these dairy farms took this paper pulp sludge and put it on their farms. As I'm digging, 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 I'm learning that there are rumors that the local waste hauler um, in town who hauls waste, not just for the paper mills, but for other industries in the era that I won't will not name, but they have chemical waste, was mixing the chemical waste in with the paper pulp sludge instead of properly disposing of it and paying to take it to a landfill. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, Mary, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got my hand in my face. I, I can't, because this is the first I've learned of this from you. Uh, my hand is in my face. I can't believe it. I, 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 so yeah. years ago, I was involved in a situation out in Cameron, Missouri. And farmers were contacted us about cancers, ocular eye cancer, rare things. And so we got involved and we found out that a tannery was taking their chrome six laced sludge and spreading it on the farms as a fertilizer. Okay, what you just said to me. So yep. then recently it's come up with Duke Energy and their toxic coal ash in memorandums dated 1994 that they would use the coal ash to sell to, you know, farmers, gardeners, uh, builders as fertilizer, topsoil, and backfill. And then um, a situation busting open down in Houston with a company that took a bunch of hazardous chemicals and mixed it with creosote to create what they call a creosote extender. And you just said this to me, and it will be the fourth one with paper mills and taking that pulp byproduct and the now other hazardous chemicals mixed in with it. My brain is blowing off because we talk about yeah. all the time, what is the $64,000 question? What do we do with our hazardous waste? We've definitely known that we'll dump it into rivers and waterways, what the old adage, the solution to pollution is dilution. But what you just said and some of what I just shared, are these companies taking their known toxic chemicals and creating another compound as fertilizer and spreading it everywhere or for profit that they're selling their hazardous waste. I cannot believe you just brought this up. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. And everybody needs to be concerned because these are dairy farms. These cows are grazing on this land. And, you know, they wonder why PCBs and these chemicals are bioaccumulate in the body and why they're in food. I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? I wow. mean, we are drinking dairy. You know, we are drinking milk. We are eating dairy. I mean, these this, these are farms that are getting toxic waste sludge spread on them. Now, I don't want to say that the farmers know or knew. You know, I, I don't. I don't know. They must. They must not have. I, don't, I can't imagine a farmer like intentionally doing that. But what I can tell you is what I have found out is that yes. So I, I mean, and this isn't just small dumping. We're talking. I mean, I have the archives of the names of the farms, the locations, the years dumped, and the tonnage. I'm talking 
hundreds of thousands of tons over decades. Okay, decades. And the issue is not only that did I find out, but okay, so that our our city or our town is like Love Canal meets Times Beach, Missouri. So Love right. Canal had dioxin issues. Love Canal had dioxin issues. Times Beach, Missouri had dioxin issues. Times Beach, Missouri used waste oil <laughs> to spread on dirt roads. Right. Yes. Yes. My my town my town did that also. These paper mills sold sold their waste oil, used waste oil to our county. So for decades they spread this stuff all over all over the dirt roads as well. So so I've requested, you know, did they study this? And the only thing I could find was that it was it was very high in heavy metals, but I know that there's other things because well, yes. the same waste hauler the same waste hauler that was dumping the sludge on the farms was spraying the oil. So, so what happened though? So that's so that's the history of all the stuff that I know. That's like, you know, well, making my you, blood, you're opening up Pandora's my, box. Um, yeah, like make it's just been decades, and right. the thing is, these paper these paper mills. I mean, the town will do anything, bend over backwards for these paper mills, you know, because they were the tax base. You know what I mean? Well, absolutely, and, so and I, you know, we, that's a conversation we do need to have because you know everybody wants their job. And and send their child to college and be able to pay their mortgages. And it becomes a situation where they don't want to talk about it because they they don't want to lose their job. And we we shouldn't have to be in that position. And companies should be able to be a good corporate citizen to those people. And at the same time, you can't just come around and poison them and hide it. And then out of fear, tell them if you say anything, you're going to lose your job. I dealt with this out in Hinkley. And that's just not going to be a solution. Uh, People like you are the solution. A podcast shows that, like this one is a solution where we can actually yeah. get information out for other people so we can see the big picture. See, we're starting to see the big picture just by what you shared with how they spread that contaminant even further. It's like how the coronavirus spreads, right? I mean, honestly, you hit one and then it's two and then it's three. And so you start with a dioxin, you know, facility in your town and then they go and get what other pollution and now it's two and now it's three and then you're going to spread it on one farm another farm and another then we have a huge problem don't we yeah exactly and that's why when i was learning about the road binder and all of these things and i was doing research and i was coming across youtube videos that's when i learned about these other you know historical sites like times Beach, Missouri. i didn't even know what a pcb was a polychlorinated bifidol in the river i didn't even know what dioxin was Prior to this, I just started going crazy researching. Okay, so dioxin is, you know, a man-made chemical basically by mixing all these chemicals, chlorinated chemicals, you know, bleach-type chemicals, which, guess what paper mills use? They use bleach to, you know what I mean, to bleach the wood chips. So it's a mixture of things. So that's what we did. We asked, after that first meeting, there's clearly concern. We know we know this now. This is all kind of hidden. People did not, people didn't put two and two together. They're like, yeah, oh, I remember them spraying oil, all this stuff. I remember them dumping all this sludge. But when I brought to them, okay, this could be the potential of what's happening, they couldn't believe it. So over the next two years, you know, to, to, until today, you know, um, the state of Michigan came in and what they did was they tested 64 um, private wells. Right. Because... You know, a, a lot, have of, a lot of private pipe. wells up in Michigan, for sure. A lot, a lot of private wells. And then um, they wouldn't test our city water, even though our city water, I'll just tell you this, our, I was on city water, and the bulk of my 
health surveys our city water and our city wells are like 200 feet from the river in a floodplain, which is a whole nother story. Yes, it is. <laughs> it has, uh, acts almost like tidal water. So when floodplains happen and it comes in, how it pushes and moves pollutants around? Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, I think about back in the 70s when the rivers were even worse. Oh, I know it. So let's have that conversation real quick. So, you know, in the 60s, (laughs) let's talk about Rachel Carson, where she wrote Silent Springs. She gave us all a clear warning. When man destroys nature, we destroy ourselves. I think we're starting to see that now. But that was in the 60s, and that was the beginning of our Safe Drinking Water Acts. And in the 60s, let's not forget Time Magazine had on the front cover, the Cayuga River in Ohio was on fire. So you and I are having these conversations. Let's jump, what, 50 years into the future? What the fuck has changed? It's just, it's It's gotten worse. Oh, it's got it's gotten way worse. But yeah, you're right. I mean, people used to tell me that live near the river back in like the seventies that the fumes off the river were oh my so God. bad that they would they would peel paint off their houses. You're kidding? So, no. See, this is the just are, oh my God. But so, but that's what I'm saying. These agencies need to recognize that we have a historical problem. Yes, before the EPA existed and before the Safe Water Drinking Act existed, but just because that didn't exist. Like, there's still, like, the repercussions are generations later. I mean, a lot of these chemicals, you know, they're mutagenic. And, yes. you know, they're, you know, that's what changes DNA. And that's what causes all, everybody's like, oh, cancer is, um, what, what am I trying to say? Cancer is uh, genetic. Well, what do you think caused that genetic change in your family? And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, and it's, it's, a, crazy. it's a, it's a cluster, you know, what, when families and all of us start to learn, we don't want to believe that who we think uh, was here to protect us actually knew something and, and we, it, to process that information is difficult. But the more I have these conversations and this conversation with you, the more you start to think, are these agencies, was this all by design or are they just inept or are they inept? Because frankly, neither works and nobody seems to be coming to the table to go, yep, that happened. And that was freaking wrong. And, and you putting the information together with the people, because see, people migrate away. We don't know where they're from or where they've been exposed to, but if we give them a chance to come forward, yep. they'll tell you just like they did with you. And so I think exactly. that you, you're amazing. And the, the story you've tapped on is such, it, it, it's all of our stories. I think we yeah. think that these places only happen in Ostego, Michigan, or they only happen in Hinkley, California, but they're happening everywhere. And I want everyone to hear your voice because every woman, every, and you know, men are rising up to this too, but you know, as well as I do, oftentimes it's the moms that really oh, will come around. I mean, it's, it's so, uh, it's so, it's so, it is, it's true. I've, so, I've noticed that. So what 100%. do, what do you do for work? Um, I am a medical device sales rep. I sell products to implants to surgeons. Okay. So you have a, just a natural inclination and curiosity want to look at these things. I, I want people to know what you were thinking. I mean, I feel like you're my sister. So I kind of know what you're thinking, but what was going on and kept you going and looking at this um, and taking on a challenge of our officials, the CDC, who I guess no one's going to question, but and still not letting it go that something's going on. What was going on in your mind? Yeah. 
I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I was so ignorant to all of this until two years ago, and it's. I don't know why me. I don't know why me, but uh, everything just made sense to me so quickly, and and I'm not a scientist. I'm not an epidemiologist, but the things that I've researched and put two and two together, what frustrates me and keeps me going is that it's so obvious. <laughs> it's so obvious. I it's going to drive me crazy if they don't do something. I'm almost worried that the problem's too big, that they're just trying to figure out, you know, I I don't think they even know what to do at this point, to be honest. But what's kept me going also is like, this has completely changed my life. You know, I, I'm, I was diagnosed at 16. I cannot have children and you know, I'm 38. And so I've gone, you know, my entire life dealing with that and finally coming to terms with it to have to learn the real truth that this wasn't you know a fluke somebody robbed me of this and and i do not want i do not want children that still live there to have the same fate as me i do i will not lie somebody wrote me that their 10 year old had to have an ovary removed and it crushed me Uh. and so that's what keeps me going and honestly they become your inspiration like you've become my inspiration in every other community that you know we've talked about and you are their inspiration you know this is your this is is your calling and i know you're going to stay with it i oh i'm never going to give up and the people in my town have been completely supportive they message me daily saying they're praying for me all this stuff they believe in me you know it's not that people are dropping off giving up even though we do kind of feel like, okay, we're kind of stuck now because we're just waiting to hear what's next. And um, I didn't even get, oh my gosh, there's so much information. I'm so sorry if I'm like, Oh, I know. Well, listen, you know, we'll we'll have to do this in like two and three parts because you're, you're just key for millions and millions and millions of us, you know? And, And sometimes I don't know that, you know, like maybe I didn't even know at the time what I was doing in Hinkley, it would result in what happened. And I don't think you thought that either. We're just following that instinct, that intuition, that injustice we feel that we know something is wrong. And we don't have to be doctors or lawyers or scientists or anything else or fit any particular bill to know that we're human and what we see exactly. isn't right. Exactly. And exactly. I know and so- that's who you are and you will you will not give up. Yeah. And I will tell you because we will have to do more parts. <laughs> we will we have to today. do more parts. And you know later this afternoon when I'm done, I'm going to call you. <laughs> yes, call me because we haven't even gotten into the results because what happened was they found dioxin in people's private wells. Well, that's what I know, and I'm terrible. I can cut you off like that, but you are so inspiring, and I, I, I want you to to keep going. I know that you will, and and we will do two parts because we're gonna all want to now find out what was in those wells, and exactly. I'll be happy to share a story. There, the story continues every day. I learn something new. Um, The water test results, all the studies, the soil tests they've done, they've botched things. It's just been a complete mess in my town. It's been a complete mess. And so, what a tragedy. You know, exactly. it, it's I don't know if it's the dummying down of, of people or that's what they're trying to get us to do, but I, I will and we'll close with this and then we'll do another segment and then I'm going to call you when I get home, you know that is that okay. um, there's a culture shift happening. There's a shift happening in this country. And I don't know if we've been asleep um, out of comfortability or complacency or we bought the Kool-Aid, if you will. But I will tell you, the hope is right now 
and you're seeing it happening everywhere. We're waking up. I am. I am. I am. And yes. you're I fully mean, awake. And while oh, it may be a nightmare, awake. I think we can change how this turns out. And I know you're going to fight, and I want you to know I'm there with you. And I think a lot of listeners um, now have a place from that area to go to, to be involved, to find that support, and to keep it going and um, find a solution to it. But you are part of that solution just by speaking up. I'm just so thrilled to have you on. And I thank know. you so much for having me and for listening to our story. And oh, thanks for letting me interrupt you because I like wait. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Um, I just can't believe though that again they take this and they turn it in all these chemicals into another secondary product that can be sold for profit for who them the company that's already poisoned the town. Unbelievable. Exactly. exactly. So you are no, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You Thank are you. a blessing for I mean, meeting for you're so the many. You're person that comes to mind for almost everybody. And so for you to reach out, you know, reach back out to me was incredible. And I'm just so grateful that you're listening and, um, you, you know, am. you have such a powerful voice. So I appreciate it. I think we others are. Your voice is powerful. Your community's voice is rising. And I'm still here for you. And I'll talk to you later this afternoon. Because, <laughs> okay, you know, I'm going to call you. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye Mary. Good. Thanks. So, I think I want to rename the podcast. I was fascinated with Mary. I mean, you know, it's like, oh my God, you're my sister. But you know, we're all sisters, right? Um, I think we should call the program Badass Bitches. <laughs> oh, she's a badass. Mary, thank you. You know, there's a common theme here with women like Mary. We're everywhere. Up. Uh, you know what? We're going to have another one next week. Stay tuned. <laughs>